Merry Christmas. We focus on that baby at Christmas, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, he is God with us. But I, this morning, I want to ask you to do something with me. And we thought maybe that would help us get this, get where we want to go this morning. I want you to back up in the story just a little bit. Can we just back up a little bit? We're going to focus on, on the baby. We're going to focus on God with us in just a moment. But can we just take a step back in our minds? I want to go, I want to go back to before creation, before anything was. I want to talk about the whole story of God. Uh, theologians call it the story arc, the meta-narrative of the gospel, the story of God. And it doesn't begin with a baby in a manger. It begins long before. It begins with a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to go back there just for a moment. I'm going to use some scripture to help us understand this incredible story. It's a little bigger than a baby in a manger. Before the world was made, our triune God was breathing the stars and the planets into place and naming them. Look at this, Psalm 147.4 says this, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Or Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. We see the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, right? You'll see on your card a little quote there from G.K. Chesterton, which I love. He says, if, uh, if there be a story, there has to be a storyteller. And so often we forget that we're caught up in a story that's bigger than us and even bigger than a baby in a manger. Let's keep, I want to keep going back a little bit, right? Colossians 1 tells us Jesus is the creator of all things. By him, in him, through him, for him, all things were created. And listen to this. He holds all things together. Isn't that good? He not only created all things, and all things were not only created for him, but he holds everything together. That means he can hold you together. It means he can hold your finances together. He can hold your struggle, your life, your fear together what he does. Ironically, the very last book of the Bible, the, the uh, book of Revelations in chapter 13, and, and I hope this kind of blows your mind because it does mine. It says, ironically, in the last book of the Bible, chapter 13, that Jesus is the lamb slain before the beginning of the world, before the foundations of the world, right? Jesus is slain before the foundations of the world. Let me tell you what that means. Because some of us who've grown up in the church or been around the church, we may have heard that phrase, but I want you to completely wrap your brain around it if we can. And it's this. Before creation, before the world, before there were people who would sin, God had a plan to redeem them. I mean, just hang on a second. Before creation... Before people, before sin, God had a plan. He's the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. We know that John puts it like this, right? We mentioned this last week in the message about the name above every name. He calls him the word in, in, in John 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Drop down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word, right? And we talked about last week that the word, basically that title means this. It means God's message to us. His word to us is that he loves us and he's come to save us. Jesus' name means that he's come to save his people. That is God's message to us. So stay with me for a second. So here we are. Before the world began, as a triune God speaks the planets and the stars into place, right? Jesus, he did that. He existed. He created before all of that. And then he, because he's the author, and this is what authors do, they tell part of the story called foreshadowing. They foretell a little bit of the story. God brings us into what he's going to do through prophecies. Over 300 prophecies that, that talk about Messiah and about this plan that God has to redeem this lost world. So before creation, he has a plan and he's because he's the author. And he's letting us know in these prophecies, in, this, in his word, what he's going to do, right? I want to look at a few of them, starting from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, in verse 15. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned and, and God comes to look for them and he speaks to the enemy he speaks to the serpent and he says, he, speaking of Jesus, the offspring of, of Eve, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the beginning, God is beginning to let us know there's a story at play here. Do you see that? We're caught up in a story, a grand story, a huge story. Genesis 12 and 22 both speak about Messiah being uh, uh, coming through Abraham, that he'll be a willing sacrifice. We'll talk about that in a second. Exodus 12 speaks of Messiah, that he would be the Passover lamb, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, right? 2 Samuel 7 says Messiah would be from the line of David. We know Joseph is from the line of David. Psalm 16 says Messiah would be resurrected. Isaiah 7 and 9, we talked about this last week, will be born, he'll be born of a virgin, and they'll call his name, right? Wonderful what? Mighty. Are, are you awake this morning? Too many donuts? Everlasting. The Prince of Peace. He's, he's letting us in on what he's doing. Isaiah 11 says he's going to be a, a Nazarene. And Jesus grows up in Nazareth, right? Uh, Jeremiah 31 says he will bring us a new covenant. Micah tells us that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Zechariah says that he would, be, he would ride on a colt, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and that he would be pierced for our transgressions. This is thousands of years. This is at least 700 years before Jesus is born. Do we have an author who already knows the plan? He's, he's letting us in on the plan through these prophecies. And then we go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi says this. He says, that the Messiah will be preceded by like a, an Elijah figure. And of course we know before Jesus' ministry begins, who comes along, right? John the Baptist, very much like Elijah. And he, he prepares the way, Scripture says, for the Messiah. He's letting us know all throughout the Old Testament what his plan is. Over 300 prophecies 
in this amazing story. I, I just can't wrap my brain around it. From before creation, God had a plan. And as we watch history play out chapter after chapter, we see that plan play out. We see, we see God doing what he's doing to redeem the world, right? And then we have 400 years of silence, and then Jesus comes. Interestingly enough, that back in the, the book of the law, the Leviticus, the rules, you know, Jesus, the Lord is setting up for us what it means to be a sacrifice, so he sets up these rules and these laws so that we can begin to understand that we cannot be forgiven unless there's a sacrifice. Hebrews says that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And so he's setting that up in the Levitical law. If we're going to be forgiven, then you have to sacrifice a, an animal, a lamb. right? And so thousands and thousands of animals sacrificed until the Lord says, wait, I'm going to provide one lamb, the lamb slain before the beginning of the world. You don't have to make sacrifices anymore. This one will pay all of the price. He'll take care of it all. He'll be the greatest gift you can be given, and Jesus becomes the lamb slain before the beginning of the world. So as we've pulled out just a little bit, now we can truly get a good understanding of what's happening at this manger scene. Right, this is not the beginning. This is part of a, a long, played-out plan, and we're just focusing in now on this part of the meta narrative of God. So, read with me, would you? Matthew one, starting in verse eighteen, it says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame." Uh, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. And he repeats that in verse 23 here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to say this morning, I think the three greatest words ever given to mankind are God with us. The three greatest words ever spoken to us, God with us. The uh, great preacher and founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, on his deathbed, some of his last words on his deathbed, and I'm, you know, he lived an amazing life, but at the very end, he says this. He says, the best of all, the best of all is God with us. There's scriptures all throughout the Old Testament that, that kind of use this phrase that God had been with them. You know, especially in, in uh, stories of battles, the writer might say, well, God went with us or God went before us. There's different um, 
other provisional statements in Scripture about God being with his people in the Old Testament, but it's not speaking of his actual person incarnate. It's speaking of his power. It's speaking of what he's done, but it's not speaking of this personal interaction. Let me tell you why. Because in the Old Testament, if God was with you, number one, you knew it, and it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Uh, What about Job? The way God shows up to Job is as a uh, tornado. Has anybody ever been around a tornado? You ever like seen one in a distance and watched its destruction? When I was a kid, I remember the, some tornadoes and came really close to our house and our neighbor's house was, uh, was harmed and some different homes around us. It was terrifying. And yet God took the form of a tornado as this unbelievably frightening thing. If you've ever been around one or been experienced uh, the devastation it can bring, it's a scary, scary thing. Think about Abraham as he is making covenant with God. He sets out the sacrifice and God in the form of a furnace or the form of a flame, Scripture says, moves through that sacrifice. It would be a scary experience to see this flame moving through. What about Moses at the top of Mount Sinai? There's a pillar of fire. It's a dangerous place. His holiness is, is dangerous. In fact, he tells Moses, don't let anybody touch the mountain because they'll die. Or in the tabernacle or in the temple, God's form is a cloud. His Shekinah glory is like a cloud. It's terrifying. In the Old Testament, if God was with you, you knew it and you would be afraid. And yet somehow in the New Testament, we see God with us in the form of just a little helpless baby. Well, Moses asked to see the face of God in the middle of this is one of these terrifying moments. I love the story in Exodus 33. He says, uh, Lord, I just want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see my glory. You'll die. But listen, God has always been a God of holiness and justice, but he's also been a, always been a God of grace. And so in God's grace, he says, Moses, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. And as my goodness passes before you, I'm going to take my hand away and you can see my back. And Moses gets to see the back of God. And in doing so, the Bible says the the skin of his face begins to glow. I don't know if you've seen some movies or cartoons where somebody's been around some nuclear waste, you know what I mean? They're just glowing green. Well, that's not even a tenth of the power of what he saw, right? His face is glowing. People are afraid. They're running from him, as we might. It's a scary moment. And yet, what he does, he puts a veil over his head. And he go, he's going in and out of the presence of God. His face is glowing. This could have been a horrifying thing. And yet, we see this baby born. And I love the line in, in uh, Silent Night that says, the dawn of redeeming grace. This moment with this child is the, mo- is the morning. It's the beginning. It's the dawn of God's grace in our lives because you know what? We don't see shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph laying over dead, do we? His grace has dawned. So what does it mean for God to be with us? We've heard the phrase, we've spoken it, we've said it many times. What does it actually mean for God to be with us? Well, this morning I want to break it down and I want to look at every single word. God with us because every one of them 
is incredibly significant, okay? I love Tony Evans, an amazing pastor and preacher in the Dallas area. I love him because he screams the whole time he preaches. It's just funny to listen to. I don't know how he still has a voice, but I heard him this past week. He was talking about baby Jesus, and he said, baby Jesus. I'm not even going to try it because I'm going to blow out my voice. But um, he just, he goes there. It's, it's awesome, right? But he says, baby Jesus, he says, he created his mother. He said he created the wood for the manger in which he lays. He created the fields of grass that the hay comes from that he lays upon. He created the animals that look at him funny now. See, the thing we need to realize is this is not just a baby in a manger. This is God with us. Don't, don't, don't lose the significance of that in the warm fuzzies of the season. This is God Almighty with us. There's a popular Christian song. I love it. I had the album, the first album it ever was recorded on. Um, and uh, it's been recorded hundreds of times by hundreds of artists now. A song called Mary Did You Know. You know the song. The lyric says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy uh, would one day walk on water? Did you know that your baby boy would heal our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss this little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Can you imagine? How do we know he was God? I mean, how do we know? How do we know that this baby truly was the Almighty? Well, Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers, gives us some great examples in a message he calls God with us. I want to give you a few of those. The first one he says, remember Peter in the book of Acts at one point he says, he uses a phrase, he says, God purchased the church with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. Now we know that Jesus shed his blood, right? And so what Peter's doing in this moment is he's interchanging these names, these titles, God and Jesus, as one and the same, because they are. Here's another neat example. Jesus forgives sin. You notice that? He forgives sin in the Gospels. We see that. Uh, there's a story. Uh, before I tell you that, let me give you an example. So um, pretend you just walk up on a fight, and there's this guy by the name of Jim. He punches John in the face. It's not a good scene. You walk over to Jim, and you go, hey, Jim, I forgive you. And John's like, you can't forgive. I'm the one that got punched in the face. It makes no sense for me to forgive. Does that make sense to you? I'm not involved in this offense. I'm not involved in it in any way. So I can't really forgive Jim for punching John. John has to forgive Jim. But what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus forgives sin. You know why? Because every sin is an offense to God. Every one. Every one. And so we even see, you know, uh, the story of the paralytic. His friends let him down the roof, in the roof. And he comes down, and of course, he's obviously paralyzed. The community probably knows this is the paralytic. This is his issue, and they're hoping to see Jesus heal him. And what happens? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. How can he forgive sins except for the fact that he is God? I love stories of angels in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. 
There's stories where angels will show up to a man and, and, and men will just fall down and begin to worship because it's such a, an unbelievable experience. We kind of saw it in the bumper there just now. It's such an unbelievable experience. You just you want to fall down and worship. Well, you'll see in Scripture, if it's an angel, they'll say, don't worship. Don't worship us. We're just creatures. We're not the creator. We're just creatures. You don't worship us. And yet in the Gospels, we see Jesus receive worship. There's a time where Thomas, remember Thomas is doubting Thomas, and he says, I want to see your hands and your feet. And, and Jesus, in his kindness, reaches out and says, Take, feel the holes in my hand and the hole in my side. And Thomas does, and then Thomas falls on his face, and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus receives his worship. How can Jesus receive worship except for the fact that he is God? The woman who poured out the, 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 the oil on his feet and dried his feet with her hair, he receives her worship because he is God. He is creator, not created. And I love this example. You know, I don't know how many times you've lived with different people, maybe in college or outside of college. You had some roommates. Everybody had that kind of experience. That's a unique experience, isn't it? Well, one thing about roommates, even the ones that you marry, right, you learn about people, don't you, real quick. That first week of marriage, you're like, wow, you are a slob. Um, or, wow, I had no idea you're such a neat freak. Take it down a notch, you know what I mean? Whatever the case it is, we, we begin to learn people. We get to really understand who these folks really are. What's interesting is that the disciples live with Jesus for three years. Right? You, you normally you know the good, bad, and ugly of the people you live with, and yet the disciples, after three years of living with Jesus, they say, this is God. This is God. And they're so convinced of it that they're willing to die for those convictions. Every single one of them die for their conviction that Jesus is God. Here's the second thing. God has come to be with us. Not just the fact that it's God, but he's made a way to be with us. Listen, we talked about this verse uh, last week, uh, Philippians 2. How God didn't consider his, uh, Jesus didn't consider his form as God. His, his, all the things that come with being God, he didn't consider those something to be grasped. But he emptied himself to take on human flesh and to come to this earth in the form of a baby. I was thinking about this, and I, you know, Lori and I went through um, in vitro to have our first child, and I was able to see Daisy as an embryo. Not many people can say that. I saw her under a, a microscope. You see, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit would cause Mary to be with child, that Jesus would be conceived in Mary. Just think about this for just a second, if we can even wrap our finite minds around this, that the God of the universe, he not only took on flesh, he became the size of an embryo, conceived in a peasant girl. A poor peasant girl, he, you can't see it with the human eye. And yet the God of the universe took on this form. I can't, I can't wrap my brain around it. Why did he do it? To be born in a dirty stable. 
so that he could be with us, so that he could be near us. And listen, maybe a lot of you know a lot about God. Maybe you have an understanding of, of who you think God is. But do you have a life with God? Because he's gone a long way to come from heaven to earth to be with you. There's a story about Martin Luther, right, the father of the Reformation, this uh, amazing man. He was Catholic, Catholic priest. He was leading. He was teaching. In fact, he's teaching the book of Romans in the original language. He's confessing his sin twice a day. He knows a lot about God. And yet at some point in his teaching the book of Romans, in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he realizes, whoa, 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 wait a second. My, my faith, my relationship with God is not something that I've earned. It's not something that I've done. I'm being rewarded for something I've done. I can know God. I can have his mercy. I can have his grace through faith. His eyes open. His spiritual eyes, his heart opens, and he realizes, that's not what I've understood. I thought I was working for all these things. And then he begins to say, he's quoted saying, why else would Jesus come unless he is the gift of God, lest any man should boast? I'm kind of like Martin Luther in the sense that I grew up in church. I knew doctrine. I knew things about God. But I, don't, I wouldn't say that my life was lived with God. I was living my life for me. And many of you this morning may be sitting here looking at me going, yeah, that's, that's right. That's where I'm at. He did so much to come to this earth to be with you. What have you done to be with him? Are you just that busy that you can't be with the God of the universe? Do you value community of people to walk your life with who will help you understand who he is and how to walk your life with him? Do you value that? It's called the church. Church is not a service. It's not necessarily a building. Church is a group of people who help you know Jesus better. That's what the church is supposed to be. Do you have time to be with God? Do you value obedience with him? James 4.8 says if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. He'll be near to us, but we have to humble ourselves and come near to him. God with. And then this last one I want us to look at this morning. Us. See, it's not translated God with all. It's translated God with us. So who is us? I, I love this announcement. Right? We're going to go to this other famous passage, Christmas passage in Scripture in Luke chapter 2. Would you go with me? Uh, verse 8 says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known 
the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Have you ever noticed that the announcement of an earthly prince, <laughs> what a big deal it is? I have a niece who loves all things Britain. And every time there's a baby born to the royal family over there, she freaks out. Oh, she's posting stuff. She's posting pictures and all kinds of junk, you know. It's not just the fact that the baby has been born. It's we got to find out how the baby's doing and how mom is doing. And we also need to know what the baby's going to wear on its way home, right, who the designer was. It's crazy. All the world knows all this information, and yet here's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he has no worldwide announcement. In fact, there's no announcement that even goes out to other kings. No. His announcement goes to shepherds. Who are shepherds? Let me tell you who shepherds are. You know when you drive down the road and you stop at a stoplight and there's a guy standing on the side of the road with a sign? That's basically a shepherd. Shepherds were homeless. They had tents. They made their home in a field. They smelled like the sheep because they lived with the sheep. They were dirty. They were not people of means. They were not people of pretense either, which is what matters. It's almost as if the Lord was saying, listen, for you to come to the Savior, you've got to drop all your arguments. You've got to drop all your positions. You've got to drop all your titles, all your questions, and you just, you just have to come. It's as if God is inviting the most humble, the lowliest of all, saying, you're welcome. That's who us is. You want to come to Jesus this morning? Drop all the stuff. Some of you are saying, listen, he wouldn't have me. He wouldn't have me with the life I've lived, with the sin I've committed, the brokenness that I've caused, the devastation that has been behind the trail of my life. He wouldn't have me. And I say, listen, just drop it. You know what you have to bring to Jesus to know him? You're nothing. Nothing. In the middle of your addiction, in the middle of your relationship that doesn't honor God, in the middle of your choices that are displeasing God, he says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the announcement was made to the lowliest of low, the shepherds. I love this as a close. This morning, yes, we're focused on God with us as a child, as a baby. But as we pull back and we think about this whole story, it reminds you that you're still caught up into it. You know, a lot of stories, we tell the story and then we get to the ending and we can all wrap it up, right? Oh, that was nice. And we learned this, this, and this. Kids, you're still caught up in this story. This story's not over. God is still writing this story. From before the earth was formed, he had a plan, and he still has a plan. This is what I love about our God. He loves us so much that he was willing to be God with us. This is an announcement to the world. Hey, I'm, I'm available to all, but God doesn't just want to be with us. He wants to be God with us in us look at me just for a second is God in you do you know him as your savior if you've never trusted him what a beautiful day 
to say, I want to believe and I want to live for Christ. I want my life to change. I want not only God to be with me, I want him to be in me, in my life. And listen, this is the thing that he wants to do. He doesn't only want to be with us and in us, he wants to change us. And as he changes us, somehow by his grace, God wants to work through us. He wants to be God through us. This is what I mean. His plan is not just for you to know a few things about God. His plan is for you to know some things about God, for it to change you, and then for you to go and tell some other people about God and for it to change them. God with us. God in us, God through us. And this is the thing we have to remember. Sometimes I forget. We're not alone. We're not alone. Sometimes in ministry you can begin to feel that way. Sometimes you walk through things that are difficult and you say, God, even as Jesus did, God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? But the beauty of that is that Jesus was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be. We never have to be forsaken because he was willing to be. God is with us. He wants to be in us. He wants to work through us. And when he does, we got to know that we're never alone. God is always for us. He's always for us. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who could be against us, right? If God is for us, tell me who. There is no one that can stand next to him. There's none that can even be near our God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me, I will say this last phrase. Daryl and team will come back. This phrase is this. Listen, if there's breath in your lungs, <laughs> there's a purpose for your life. You'll hear me say it a lot. It's one of my favorite things to say. I want to remind it. Remind you this morning of the truth of that. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. Do you know why? You're not, you're not, you're not some accident here. God, in his sovereignty, has you here for a reason. The question is, do you know the purpose and are you living out of it? Do you know why you're here? You're not an accident. God has a plan. A beautiful plan. And you know what? He's created you for part of that plan. He wants to use you. In his grace, he wants to use you in that plan. And he will always be for you. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, thank you so much. I really can't wrap my brain around the truth that our infinite God could be born in a baby and wrapped in finite flesh. I, I can't understand it, Lord, but I believe it because you had a plan long before creation and you have told pieces of this plan throughout history. We can go back in history, we can read thousands of years before you even show up on this planet, your plan to show up. God, if we're lacking faith today, would you help us just to look at your word and see that you're a God who keeps his promises, that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, and you are telling this story, and you're not done. You've written us into this story, God, and you have a purpose for our lives. Would you help us to know it and embrace it 
You will be God with us and God in us and God through us and you will always be God for us because you have a plan for this world to know you. And Jesus born in a manger is just the middle little section. We got a long way to go and you got a lot of work to do through us, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to surrender our lives, to say, God, how do you want to use us? How do you want to help tell the story of our lives so that we can tell other people how good you are, how real you are. This is not some religion like Martin Luther discovered. It's not just checking things out of a box or a list. It's not just some rote, cold uh, observance of something. Lord, this is a relationship. You have come to be with us in the middle of our mess, King of kings and Lord of lords. You were willing to be born in the middle of our mess. Be born in us. May we take you with us in everything we do and everywhere we go. Lord, would you use us? Help us to understand this purpose you've given us, to walk it out and to learn it and to know it, to be the disciples you've called us to be and to make the disciples you're calling us to make as a church and as individuals in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?